I am Camille Johnson, and this is Finding the Floor. Stories and reflections of midlife motherhood, family, and finding meaning in it all. Join me as I share a little piece of my life and figure out what I want to be when I grow up. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to episode five of Finding the Floor. Well, this episode was previously recorded, and then as I was trying to find it to export it and put it on my podcast host, I couldn't find the data, and somehow it was gone. So I am re-recording this episode before I had quote-unquote gone, I guess, live with my episodes and had them listed on directories, I had just recorded probably four or five episodes. And so this is the first time I've kind of recorded and I know I actually have people who will listen to my podcast, which it has been super fun. And I just want to say thank you for listening and um, taking the time if you have subscribed to my podcast for doing that. And if not, um, go ahead and subscribe And also, if you want to go to my website um, and check out, make some comments or leave your email and I'm going to slowly get this together, maybe have a newsletter come out, um, which notifies you when the next podcast, the goal pretty much of my podcast is try to release something every Friday and hopefully that'll work out in general. It's just been fun to take some time to reflect and, and just think about, I guess, my life and uh, how I, how I become and what I'm looking forward to. And I wanted to share the story about this woman from my church history, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Her name is Mary Ann Engel Young. And I came across her sort of by accident on a Sunday and was so grateful to find this story, which I will link in my show notes, um, because it's funny how, like, there have been a couple of times where I've shared this story, and um, then they asked me, oh, can you just find the article where you found out about Mary Young, and it would take me a while to find it, so I don't even know how I came across this, because I feel like it just, like, appeared in my email. Now I have it saved, so I know where to find it, but before it would take me literally five to ten minutes to try to find this this article I am also really grateful because of this article I kind of got a new perspective on how to be a better service to my husband who right now is serving as the stake president of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints Kirtland Ohio stake and um, and before that when I read this article he had been serving in the stake presidency I guess I'll get into a little bit of background of what that all means for those of you who may not know. Some of you probably are all familiar with, if you um, are friends of mine or or members of the church. If you're not, uh, just a little background. So in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, everybody helps run the church. 
So it's got what is called a lay ministry. And there are, there are all different types of, I guess, we call them callings because we feel like we're asked by our Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ to take some time and to be in stewardship of a, a certain part of running the church. And we just take that small little piece. And sometimes we have bigger pieces and sometimes we have smaller pieces, depending, just kind of, it kind of ebbs and flows through your life. Like for instance, right now I teach the four and five-year-olds in primary, which is the children's organization of our church. And we meet just for like the second hour of church and I teach them a lesson and I also just try to get to know them and connect with them and help them any way I can. And even right now as we're not able to even meet at church, um, I've been trying to send letters to them and just reach out. So I'm still trying to do my calling and help these cute little kids that I have. And so they're also bigger calling. So each of our congregations are divided into what they are called wards, which could be similar to if you're familiar with like a parish, it's kind of that type of thing organized by area and kind of depending on how many members are in that certain area, it could be a small area with a large amount of saints, which I grew up in Salt Lake. So that usually meant just a smaller area because there were a lot of members in that area. But living in, in Cleveland, it were not quite as, there's not quite as many people who are members. And so our area is a lot bigger. And so there's a bishop who's in charge of that ward and he has counselors. And then he's got an organization you could have. There's people in charge of the Elders Quorum, which is the organization of men. The Relief Society, which is the organization of women. And then primary. And there's organizations of the young men and young women. And I could go on and on. But then each ward is then put under what is called a stake. And there's usually like eight to ten wards in a stake. And I think we have like nine in our stake. So my husband right now is serving as the president of our stake. And that is just a, a bigger calling, I would say. It, it, he has a lot more responsibility um, and he helps pretty much run the stake. He helps support the bishops. He helps um, support the leader. There are like leaders in the stake that are also supporting all of those other organizations like the young women, the primary, and he helps support them. There's a council that helps support all the wards. So it's it's very well organized and there's a lot of people to help him, but he is the guy in charge of our stake right now. And he has been in that calling about um, a little over a year and a half now. And before that, he was in the stake presidency. So a stake president has two counselors and they help the stake president. And he's got also an executive secretary and a clerk and I could go on and on. But anyway, he has served in the stake presidency for nine years before that. So, and even before that, he was the stake executive secretary 
for five years before that. So he's kind of been involved in the stake for a long time. And um, anyway, I, I'm going to tell you, I just wanted to give you a little background to kind of know, okay, he's, his job on Sundays takes him, he has to kind of, he's assigned to kind of be at different wards on Sundays. And then he has to meet um, with different members if they need temple recommends has to go to different meetings that the organizations um, meet. And so his Sundays are pretty busy. And when he got first called in the stake presidency, I wasn't quite ready for how long and how many meetings he would have on Sundays. I kind of got the whole, okay, Thursdays, they would have like stake presidency meetings where they meet and try to help find ways to help our stake members grow and support the bishops and all that. And so I was sort of used to having him gone on Thursday nights, not a big deal. And then when he got called in the stake presidency, the Sundays kind of just got really long. And when he was first called, my kids were a lot smaller. I had actually just found out I was pregnant with my fifth. And so I would have to go to church by myself. And sometimes he would be there and it was always fun to see him, but he would always have to sit on the stand and you know five kids when they're small they're always just kind of don't make filling spiritual things easy <laughs> to say the least um so there were some kind of long days and there were some Sundays where I kind of would tend to just feel sad for myself and feel bad for myself oh it's so hard I have to be home with all my kids and I just get tired and, and it would kind of seem a little bit harder than like normal days because on the Sabbath, we believe in keeping like a true Sabbath. So we try not to do any sports, go out to eat, go to the store. We try to do our best to study more of the scriptures and just kind of concentrate on dedicating that day to worshiping God both at church and at home. That just gives you kind of a little bit of background. And I, I'm telling, I'm going to tell you about Mary because she went through way harder things. And it, it really helped me understand that I can do hard things. And my life really, even though I guess we don't want to compare hard to hard, but it just helped me realize that this woman had it I think way harder than I did and she did it without complaining and I can try to do it even though I feel like I complain all the time so um, I'm gonna just kind of introduce you to this wonderful woman and I'm calling this episode meeting Mary Young because I feel like that's she's like my new friend who inspired me and she kind of I don't know exactly when she was born, so I'm just taking you from when Brigham Young and her met. It was around 1833, if I, if I am, I think I'm fairly correct. And they met in Kirtland, and Brigham Young had come to Kirtland, Ohio, and he had just, um, he had just like joined the church and he was really excited about it. And he came to Kirtland, and his first wife had just died, and he had two girls. And I think Mary and Brigham both were excited about the gospel. And I don't know her whole 
why she joined the church, but I think she was drawn to him because in this article it says, he was so fired up about the gospel. Like literally he said it burned in his bones like fire pent up. So yeah, he was fired up about the gospel and really was willing to kind of do whatever he was asked to do. And Mary was kind of attracted to that about him. And he too was attracted to her because I think he saw her bear a testimony and just kind of was attracted to her and her love of the gospel too. Brigham was called to serve a lot of missions, as you may or may not know, if you know anything about Brigham Young. And so I think for the first five years of their marriage, he was gone half of the time. And it's not like they had this glorious, beautiful house and could go and grab McDonald's. You know, everything was harder then. So it was not easy. She had to like keep her family alive pretty much. During one particular time of history where the saints kind of were sort of kicked out of a lot of different places, Mary said she had kept house in 11 different places. So she's kind of a really strong woman. And I didn't, I didn't, when reading this article, I just felt like, wow, she's just never complained. And maybe she did. And it's just wasn't written about it, but I just was really impressed. And Brigham had already been on a, a bunch of missions before this, um, but he was then served to asked to serve another mission to the British Isles. And it, in and they were gathering um, together in July of eighteen thirty nine. I hope I said that right to bless their families because they knew that this was going to be super hard. The saints of the time had been fleeing. Jackson County, Missouri, they had been chased out and they had now were starting to build up Nauvoo, but it was still kind of new, even so much that some people were living across the Mississippi River in Montrose, which was like, I guess, an abandoned military barrack. And so they were kind of using those barracks to live. The 12 apostles had gathered to bless all their families. And then two months later, it was time for Brigham to leave. What I think is crazy too, and I'll get into Mary. I just want to say that Brigham has malaria as he's leaving to go on this mission and can barely, it said in the story, he's unable to walk 20 steps without assistance and barely has enough clothes to make himself look presentable. And then the kicker here, too, is Mary had just had a baby 10 days before Brigham Young leaves. So he's leaving on this mission across the ocean. And she's just had a baby and has seven children. And all of them are sick. They probably all have malaria because they, they're moving into Nauvoo and there's all these mosquitoes. So she has to row across the Mississippi River to, like, wave goodbye to Brigham, who's like barely able to walk. So she's sick or he's sick and she's just had a baby and they're just, they're doing what they're supposed to do, but they're just barely holding on. Right. This part of the story kind of what is what really got me. And, um, Mary two months later is still living across the Mississippi river. It is now November and they are literally out of food. They don't have any food. I think most of them have gotten are still kind of sick. So what does she do? 
She wraps her baby to her. At least I think she would have, or might, she might have just put the baby in the boat. And she rows across the Mississippi River in November. Now, if any of you live in the Midwest and know what it's like in November, it's not warm. And she's rowing across the Mississippi River, and it's probably freezing. And it says in the story that she's like soaking wet by the time she gets to the other side where her friends are. And she goes to a friend's house and has to beg them or ask them for food to feed her family. And she, her friend sees her and sees that she's like soaking wet and got this baby and it's just cold and just says, you need to stay here and warm up before you go back. And she just says, no, I can't stay here. I, I have to go back and feed my family. So she's given some potatoes and I think some flour and she gets back on the boat in November and rows back to her family so that they can eat. And I'm thinking, okay, they're rowing back and it's not like they can just throw things in an oven and that's good. They probably have to like stoke a fire and it's just so much harder. Here she is rowing in November. So the story goes on. I mean, that's amazing in and of itself. And I don't have to row across the Mississippi in November on Sundays to get to church. And I was thinking, okay, she just had to keep her family alive. That's She just had to do that. The story goes on how she gets a lot in Nauvoo the following summer. And so she has a plot of land. And that summer, she rows across every single day to tend and grow a garden. So every day, she's rowing across. And I'm, I'm guessing she's probably rowing like her kids across with her because Brigham's not around. And maybe there's some kids that are older. But my guess is she's rowing her whole family across. And they're all helping to work in the garden. And then, not only that, is that she... She then starts building a log cabin in the lot so she doesn't have to row every day, at least it was the summer, across the Mississippi River. So she builds a log cabin and they're able to live kind of in Nauvoo. And um, her friend Valate Kimball says, you could barely call it a house, but at least she didn't have to row across the Mississippi every day. Brigham was gone for 22 months and she did not even write to him to complain. I don't, not that that would even do anything because he's like, oh, I can be there in three months. Hold on. <laughs> not like he can just drop everything and drive home or take a super fast jet. Um, but then what I find interesting is he's coming home and she actually is like, I'm sorry our house isn't that great. I've done my best. And I'll say in her words, she says she wished to have a better house to receive him into. She was thankful for a comfortable shelter from the storm. And she explained that it had been so difficult to obtain work that I had done. But what I had done was not as I had wanted it. But having done the best she could, she thanked her heavenly father for all the blessings I received, and the Lord continued his mercies on us. 
after reading that story about Mary, I just had to think, wow, I don't have to strap my baby to myself and row across the Mississippi in November. But I do have to do things that may seem hard for me, whether it be supporting my husband as he's um, gone all day on Sundays and trying to make sure I'm supportive and trying to understand all that. I, I'm inspired by her because I see what she's done without complaining and that she knows that it's important. I have made a promise. I have felt a testimony and I've made a promise. And with that conversion comes a promise and a dedication to serve as best I can. And so I look to her as just an inspiration because I know she went through probably a ton more things because then Brigham became the prophet and I'm sure there's tons of mean things that were happening to her. I can even imagine. I just, I'm grateful for her and her uh, willingness to do hard things and to inspire me who came hundreds of years later who can just drive anywhere and grab food. I haven't ever had to worry about my kids going hungry and I'm just grateful to know that I can someday be like that and not complain. I just have a lot of things to be grateful for. And I'm just also just grateful for this story. I will link this story in my show notes. It's just this little article that I am so grateful that somehow I found and came into my email box. And I wanted to share the story because there are There are going to be a few episodes where I just kind of talk about what it's like to serve in the church. And I hope that that is helpful to some people who are also members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I'm grateful to have, again, so grateful that you guys are here listening and, um, and read that story because hopefully I give you just a taste of this great woman. I will talk to you guys next week and thanks for listening. All right. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you have any questions, come by findingthefloor.com where I will have show notes and links for anything I've mentioned today. Special thanks to Seth Johnson for creating and performing the theme music. Come back next week and thanks for listening. 